Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Um, hey, before I preach, can I share a little bit of pastoral advice? And I want to humbly submit it to you. You can take it or leave it. Is that okay? Um, one thing that, if you've been coming to Church at the Well for any length of time, one thing you'll notice about our church is we don't take a lot of deep dives into issues and topics that are hot-button topics on a Sunday morning during our gathering. And there's a reason for that. It's not because we're afraid to talk about those things. It's not because we don't have opinions and thoughts and things to say on those things. It's because certain settings require space for conversation. Do you agree with that? And so this setting we're in right now, I have a microphone on. You're all sitting in theater chairs listening to me. And this is a fine setting for preaching scripture, for teaching scripture, for sharing announcements and events. It's a fine setting. But there are, there are topics and issues that are tender and personal in nature that require space for conversation. Does that make sense when I say that? And I think a lot of times in our churches, as pastors, I know I feel this tension. There's things that I, I want to have a conversation about, and I can definitely start conversations in sermons like this, right? Um, but to have a space where I become the listener, and we have back and forth dialogue and conversation about stuff, sometimes when, when there's issues that are real personal and touch people in a real personal way or they're tender, it requires that level of space, right? And so this week, you know this. Almost everybody here, I'm guessing, knows this. There is a lot of public discourse on the Supreme Court opinion that was leaked, right? That could potentially overturn Roe versus Wade. And what I want to do is I just want to offer three pieces of pastoral advice. I'm going to humbly submit this to you. You can take it or leave it. Okay? But I want to offer you three pieces of advice. The first piece of advice I would leave you with is be gracious with people who don't believe what you believe. That makes sense? Just be gracious with people who don't believe what you believe. So, I'll give you an example. So, me, I'm pro-life from womb to tomb, which means that, like, I, I'm not just pro-birth, I really believe in helping and advocating people all the way to death, to tomb, and, like, helping them with resources and support and what they need. Oh, but there are people in my life neighbors, family members, friends, who, who don't believe that. And I believe as a follower of Jesus, I have to be gracious with people who don't believe what I believe. Right? I think that's foundational to being a follower of Jesus, is to love people no matter what they believe. So that's my first piece of advice. My second one is this. And again, I'm humbly submitting this to you. You can take it or leave it. While social media is a great platform to share like experience and catch up with people and connect with people. Something I've learned is that social media is a terrible medium for conversations like these. And the reason I, I, I say that is because something I've witnessed, something I've experienced myself, is that a lot of times when we go to social media for discourse like this, we're talking at people instead of with people. Right? And, and I, I've never 
seen a Facebook post that has convinced somebody to change their position on something like this. Right? In, in, in fact, usually it does the opposite. Usually it just stirs up contention and people dig in their heels and it becomes like, a, I'm going to talk at you louder than you talk at me and make you look dumb, right? Or make you look stupid or belittle you because I have to prove this point. I think there's, I think there's something that we as a society and especially the Church of Jesus has to do is create healthy spaces for discourse, right? And it's, and sometimes social media it is not great to have. And so my second piece of advice to you would be this: if social media is your primary outlet to engage this public discourse, think about that. My third piece is this, pray. Pray how God wants you to respond, no matter what the outcome of this is. Right? You need to be in prayer. Jesus, how do I respond? Me personally, how do I respond? So is that okay that I just offer those three pieces of advice? Hopefully that's helpful. I'll say this, if you're here and, and you do want a space to talk about it, I would love to have coffee with you. And, and I'll promise this, I'll promise to listen to you. I promise I won't fight and argue with you if you disagree with the position or opinion that I have. Um, we, we, we as followers of Jesus have to commit to changing the way we discourse about stuff and, and, and do it in a way that, that, that is healthy and productive and fair. Does that make sense? Can I preach my sermon now? Okay. I just felt that I had to share that because I haven't spent any time on Facebook this week because I'm imagining what it looks like. And as a pastor, sometimes my heart breaks. I want to speak to these issues, but the setting that we get as pastors on a Sunday morning aren't always conducive or the best for that. Because there's people who have really personal connections. Right? And so I wanted to offer that advice to you. Okay, let's jump into our sermon. And that will come out of my sermon time. We're three weeks into the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. And hopefully one of the things you're noticing in Joseph's story, in Joseph's journey, is how God is at work, even in the direst of circumstances. One of the reasons I love Joseph's journey and the story of Joseph is because it reminds me of how committed God is to his redemptive work. He's, he's committed to his redemptive work. And, and I love how he can take our worst moments. He can take our ugliest relationships, he can take our, our biggest and deepest discouragements and disappointments, and he can create something redemptive out of it. And that's what I see in Joseph's journey, Joseph's story. It's a story that's fraught with all this family dysfunction and rivalry and betrayal and injustice and just seemingly one letdown after another for Joseph. And, and from the outside, when you read the story, it appears that God's nowhere to be found. Where is he? That nothing's going well for Joseph. And yet, what we find is that God is on every page all throughout the story. And, and he's at work behind the scenes and setting up the stage for redemption and reconciliation because that's who God is. And that's good news for you and I, right? Because there's times in our lives when everything's falling apart at the seams and it looks like God's nowhere to be found. And yet we read the story of Joseph, and what we find is that oftentimes God is at work behind the scenes when we can't see him, and he's at work, and he's redeeming and setting the stage for reconciliation and, and for healing and wholeness. And, and that's what we're reminded of when we read Joseph's story. 
So today, we're going to look at another layer of Joseph's journey where he experiences the pain of being abandoned and forgotten about. Uh, to this point in the story, we've already covered this, but Joseph has already been betrayed by his brothers and sold off into slavery. Uh, then he's falsely accused, and he comes this last, last week, he's falsely accused of something he didn't do, and he's thrown in prison. And so now he's going to be abandoned in prison and forgotten about. And so there's this trifecta of disillusion happening in his life. Uh, the people who were supposed to love him, his brothers, betrayed him, sold him off as a slave. Um, he's unjustly punished for, for doing the right thing. And then finally, today, Pastor we're going to look at, we see he's forgotten. He's forgotten about. And yet somehow, through this whole narrative, through this whole story, through the whole journey that Joseph goes through, he hangs on to his faith in God. And I just find that remarkable. Because I think oftentimes for you and I, when we have hardship and things don't go right, and we're treated unjustly, and we're betrayed, and we're forgotten, and we're abandoned, that, that there's this sense of like, okay, if God's not around, I guess he's not around. I, 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 I'm losing, I'm giving up my faith. But somehow Joseph maintains it and hangs on to it. He doesn't let his disappointments derail him. It, now, I'm sure he had his moments of doubt, his moments of discouragement, um, I'm sure he did some deconstruction, like we all do when things don't go the way we anticipate. But somehow, some way, he's able to hold on to this trust that God's going to redeem this all, that God's going to come through for him. He's going he's to be true to his word. And so we're going to cover two chapters today, Genesis chapter 40 and Genesis chapter 41. And here's how we're going to cover them. We're going to read the first eight verses of each chapter because it kind of sets the stage for the rest of the chapter. Then I'm going to do my best to narrate and fill in the gaps and tell the rest of the story for each chapter. And hopefully by the time we're done, we'll have something to think about, something to pray about, something to respond to. So I'm going to invite Jen up, and she's going to read our first eight verses from Genesis chapter 40. On the screen, you're going to see a piece of artwork next to the passage. And this is a piece of art called Joseph in Jail by Philip Rabbit. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials. He put them in prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And so here we have Joseph, he's in prison, um, wrongfully, unjustly, something he didn't do. And God grants him favor in the prison, he actually gets in charge of quite a few responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is looking after the inmates and just caring for them. Well, two of Pharaoh's chief officials, his chief baker, his chief cupbearer, or wine taster, are thrown in prison too. They did something to take Pharaoh off. And now they're in prison. And they have these dreams. Now, the last time we read about Joseph engaging dreams, it didn't go so well. Right? He had a dream that his brothers bowed down to so he shared that dream with his brothers, an agitated and already strained relationship, which led them 
to sell Joseph into slavery, and so now he's in prison. And yet, here's Joseph again being willing to engage these dreams. Because he believes this. He believes that dreams are God's business. It's one of the ways that God speaks to us, is through dreams. And so Pharaoh's chief wine taster and baker are in prison with Joseph and under his care. And they, they have dreams. And they hope that Joseph can interpret them and tell them what they mean. And so the first one to share their dream with Joseph is Pharaoh's cupbearer, his chief wine taster. And he tells Joseph, I had a dream uh, of a grapevine, and it had three branches on it, and there were clusters of grapes on each of the branches, and I, I held Pharaoh's cup underneath the grapes, and I squeezed wine into the cup and handed it to Pharaoh. And so Joseph says, this is what your dream means, God gives Joseph an interpretation for this dream. He says, the three branches represent three days. And in three days, Pharaoh's going to restore you to your old position of being his cupbearer. And, and Joseph tells him this, please remember me when you get out of prison in three days. Because I'm here unjustly, and, and there's no one to help me. Please, you're the only person who's going to be able to advocate for me and help me to get out of prison. So don't, don't, don't forget me. Please remember well, on hearing the, the first dream interpreted so positively, the chief baker says, well, let me show you, let me share with you the dream I had. And he tells Joseph, in my dream, there were three baskets of pastries on top of my head. And they were for Pharaoh. I was bringing them to Pharaoh. And birds came and ate them all. And Joseph says, well, this is what your dream means, the three baskets. The pastries also represent three days. And three days from now, You'll be impaled on a pole, and the birds will come and peck at your carcass. And so this is not the interpretation that Chief Baker was expecting or hoping for. Um, but sure enough, three days later, we're told that on Pharaoh's birthday, Pharaoh throws a party for his staff, birthday party for his staff. And, um, everything happens just as Joseph predicted it. The baker's executed, and the cupbearer resumes his former position. But the closing words of Genesis chapter 40 um, are really discouraging words. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, the last verse in the chapter, it says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Talk about adding insult to injury. Right? Here's Joseph, and he's mistreated yet again. It's, it's not enough that his brothers betrayed him and, and sold him as a slave. It's not enough that he's wrongfully imprisoned. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not enough that everything's just gone bad for him. Now he's forgotten about by someone he helped. Someone he made a deal with. He said, hey, like, don't, just don't forget me. Like, can you imagine the anxiety relief of that chief wine taster when Joseph interprets his dreams? Hey, in three days you're going to be restored. And he's probably like, oh, phew, that, that feels great. Right? But then he forgets about Joseph. He abandons his friend, the one person who could help him. And I don't know if you've ever been abandoned or forgotten about or overlooked, but it, it, it's not pleasant. Right? It feels dehumanizing in a lot of ways when, when you're forgotten about, and yet here's where Joseph is. And, and the, the thing that I, I, I want to point out is the reality Joseph is facing after this, after he's forgotten about by his friend. That these dreams from God 
aren't making Joseph's life any easier. In fact, they're making his life worse. They're making his life more complex. <clears throat> Which is often the case, right? Because more often than not, the dreams that God puts in our hearts don't make our lives less complex. They make them more complex. Right? They, they usually make things difficult. Remember, it was Joseph's dream that got him in trouble in the first place. And here, once again, it's dreams that cause him to feel the pain and disillusionment that we forgotten. And, and we may not like this, but, but when we start dreaming God's dreams, it usually comes at a personal cost. It's exciting at first, right? God puts a dream in our heart, and we're like, yeah, that's amazing. <clears throat> but what we don't realize often is that it's, it's going to cost us something. That God's dreams come at a personal cost. And the reason they come at a cost is because usually when God puts dreams in our hearts, they, they have a way of inviting us to desire his kingdom, the way things should be. Right? God puts a dream in our heart, and, and it's... It, it's usually about his kingdom, the way things should be in the, in the world. And, and we start to pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. But the dream has to become a reality, right? There has to be an outworking. And, and, and that often comes at a personal cost to us, but they're worth it. Because when God puts dreams in our hearts, they're an invitation to be part of God's redemptive work in the world. Um, you know, when I moved here to the church, the Planet Church, we were coming over here on family for my son Josh because the hospital of the town we lived in about three hours from here, you know, didn't have um, the, the medicine and just the care that the, the healthcare system here had. And so we were coming to Burlington, and every time we came over here, I felt like God was putting a dream in my heart to plant this church. Now, now I'll, say, I'll say this. It, it was more naivety than courage that brought us here. But God used that my identity. Right? I had no clue how to play the church. It was just my family and two friends that came. And I had no clue what I was doing. I still don't have a clue, but don't tell anyone. But I, it was it was it was naive of me to, to think like, yeah, we'll just we'll just go here, we'll play this church, and, and God put the stream in my heart. And I have to tell you this, I have to confess this. There were so many times when it felt too ordinary and mundane to be a dream from God. You know, as I, I, I'd wake up and be like, okay, so what, what today? Like, there's, surely there's going to be miracles and awesome things happening to affirm that God put this dream in my heart to come here and play church. It was the exact opposite. Like, those were so few and far between, those miracles. And, and, and it wasn't like I wasn't looking for them. And, and there were so many times when it just felt so ordinary. I don't know if you know this, but, but church planting sounds way more spectacular than it actually is. Right, Kevin? It sounds way more spectacular than it actually is. Um, in fact, if you ever want to feel insecure, if you ever want to question your calling, just go plan a church somewhere. You'll, you'll get that in space. But here's, here's what I know is looking back. God was at work in all those ordinary mundane moments. Even when I didn't see him, I worked. And there are other times uh, in my church planning journey where we faced some significant challenges and hardship. There were times when I was working two and three jobs because I wasn't taking income from the church and I was trying to provide for my family and still wasn't making ends meet. 
you know, working 60, 70 hours, like not giving all the time I need to to my, to my family. And we had to say no a lot to our oldest kids because we were poor and we couldn't give them all the things that they, they needed and wanted. And that, that was really hard. At times, it felt more like a nightmare than a dream. Right? And sometimes when God puts dreams in our hearts, it feels like that. We, we just expect that, okay, it's not going to be ordinary. It's not going to feel mundane. It's going to be, if God puts a dream in my heart, it's, it's going to be awesome all the time. <laughs> Nothing bad's going to happen because then we'll, it's dreams from God. Nothing bad can happen. And yet when we look at the life of Joseph, we see all these things. Ordinary, mundane, he's forgotten about. Bad things are happening to him. And yet somehow he's able to hold on to his faith in God. And, and I share all that to, to say this. The dream that God is inviting you to dream probably doesn't look like mine. But I'll tell you this, no matter how ordinary or mundane it feels, or how hard it is, or how difficult it is, if God put it in your heart, he's there with you. And he's working in you, and he's working through you, and he's working all around you. Right? Even when you can't see him. Okay, let's go back to the story of Joseph. We've got to tackle chapter 41 now, because the story continues. So John, why don't you come up and read for us the first eight verses of Genesis 41. Again, we have a piece of artwork next to this passage that we're going to read, and this one's from Darius Gilma called Pharaoh's Dream. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them these were strong and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the river. Then the strong and thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more, seven more heads of but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-plumped heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. Thanks, John. So here we are two years after Joseph interprets the dreams of his, of his friends in prison. Two years later, there are two more dreams that Joseph is invited to interact with. And this time the dreams belong to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is vexed because he doesn't understand the meaning of these dreams. And the cupbearer, who had forgotten about Joseph, seeing Pharaoh vexed about these dreams, remembers. Oh, Pharaoh, I know someone who might be able to help you out. And so Joseph is brought out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dreams in Genesis chapter 41. And Joseph tells Pharaoh, after Pharaoh states the dreams, that God has sent these dreams to Pharaoh to warn him, and, and Joseph says the dreams mean the same thing. And so Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He said the seven healthy cows that come out of the Nile and the, and the seven healthy heads of grain represent seven years of plenty. That is just going to be prosperous harvest. And then the seven scrawny cows that come out of the Nile and eat the fat cows, and the seven scrawny heads of grain that choke out the healthy grain, are going to represent seven years of famine. 
Now you're going to follow these seven years of plenty. And so then Joseph gives Pharaoh some counsel. He said, what you should do, Pharaoh, is you should find somebody who's wise and somebody who's intelligent to put in charge of the land and have them collect a fifth of all the bumper crop for the seven years of plenty so that you have food in the storehouses to, to supply during the years of famine. And so Pharaoh says, well, where else am I going to find someone with the Spirit of God like you? You're, you're, you're the guy. And so Joseph is put second in command of, of Egypt under Pharaoh. He's put in charge of the entire land. And we're told that Pharaoh gives Joseph some fine Egyptian clothing, right, which is reminiscent of his father Jacob way back giving him this robe. And so Joseph is starting to see, oh, finally there's a break. Finally, I start to see God's redemptive work begin to unfold. And sure enough, everything happens uh, just as Joseph said it would. Genesis chapter 41 tells us that there's seven years of bumper crops and followed by seven years of severe famine. And during the famine, we're told that Joseph is in charge of this whole endeavor. He opens up the storehouses and he sells the grain and he feeds not only all of Egypt, but he feeds all of Mesopotamia because we're told that all the surrounding countries are coming to Egypt to, to buy this grain because there's a severe famine and people are starving. And so Joseph is able to be involved in God's redemptive work and, and feeding people who have nothing to eat. In verse 57, the last verse of chapter 41, it says, People from all around Egypt came to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. And so we start get to the point in Joseph's story now where, where we start to be able to see God's redemptive work start to unfold. And here's the thought I want, to, I want to leave with you today. That somehow, after everything Joseph went through, all the betrayal, the jealousy, the injustice, the disappointments, all the letdowns, he's able to maintain his faith and trust in God. And when I read this story, um, I, I ask myself, would I be able to do that? If I put myself in Joseph's shoes and went through what he went through, I'm not sure I would be able to do that. I'd hope to be able to do that. And, and it makes me ask this question, how do you do that? How do you get to a place in your faith where it's so sturdy that even when you can't see God's hand, you can trust his heart? How do you get there? Isn't that a good question to ask? And the one thing that I recognize in Joseph's story, the one thing that I think he does really well is he holds on to God's word. The initial dream that God gave him, that he gave to Joseph, Joseph just somehow manages to hold on to that. He's tenacious, right? He's perseverant. He's, like, he's bratty. He holds on to, that, to that, that word, that dream, and he just doesn't let go. You know, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? In other words, that when we hear God's word and we hold on to it, that's faith. And Joseph held on, he hung in there. And so here's the encouragement I want to leave you with today. Sometimes living a life of faith is all about holding on. All about holding on. And, and today, I told you, it feels like a wilderness service. I'm preaching to 
required. Let me take the last 60 seconds to just preach to the choir. Okay, one of the reasons that we have worship gatherings like this every Sunday is because you and I need rhythmic reminders on the first day of the week that God is for us, that he's with us, and that he's at work, even when we can't see. And when we sing together, when we pray together, when we read scripture together, when, when we hear our brothers and sisters talk about what God's doing in their life, it helps us hold on. It helps us hold on and say, hey, I don't see God at work right now. Everything feels ordinary and mundane and hard and challenging. But when I sing and praise Him and worship Him, when I read Scripture with my brothers and sisters in Christ, when we pray together, when I hear testimonies of God at work in others, it reminds me, yeah, I need to keep holding on. And so maybe there's, there's people here today and you find yourself in desperate need of some of that, of what Joseph had. Just that tenacity and just that strength to let I just maybe you're here today and like everything it took everything for you just to come today because you're holding on. Because you're just like, man, I'm at the end right now. But I'm I just need to hold on. And maybe you couldn't even articulate it, but you're here, but that's what you feel. I just want to say a prayer for you. Because sometimes living a life of faith is all about that. And what I love about Joseph's story is it was reminds us, yeah, there's times in our life, in our journey with God, we just have to hold on to everything we've got. And just trust that God's going to redeem it. God's going to fix what's broken. He's going to finish what he started. And even if it feels like the opposite right now. So can I say a prayer for us all today? I think on some levels, all of us are in that place on some levels. And then some are significant, like in need. Like, yeah, I need to start to hold on to get through to tomorrow. I just want to say a prayer for us. And I'll wait the worship and I come up you guys can sing after. Heavenly Father, I thank you for stories in scripture like this that are not um, all rosy and easy and, and beautiful and polished and, and, and miraculous, even though it is. Because it reminds us that our lives are like Joseph's life. But there are times when we're forgotten. There are times we're betrayed. There's times we're abandoned. There's times where, that there's injustice in our life. And, and there's all these circumstances that are no fault to our own that we have to bear the weight of. And it can feel like you're nowhere to be found. I'm thankful for the story. I'm thankful for how you were at work in every page of Joseph's story. You are at work in our own lives right now, even when we can't see your hand. God, would you give us the faith we need to, and the strength we need to trust your heart? Just to hold on. Just to trust that you are at work and that you're present and that you're redeeming and you're, you're, you're fixing and you're restoring and you're reconciling and that you're going to finish the work you started. God, I pray for my friends who right now, they just use their last bit of strength to even hold on this morning come to church. Lord, would you resupply endurance and tenacity and perseverance just to, to, to keep holding on. Lord, for other of us who, who we might not be in a season where we're holding on tightly that things might be going okay in, in some areas of our life, but Lord, we know that there's going to come a time 
Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next week or next month, but we're going to be there. So Lord, that's our prayer too. That you would supply everything that we need to be like Joseph. Just to, to, to hold on to our, our faith in you, God. And to hold on to your word. Your promise that you're going to finish what you started in us and in the world. God, would you give us hearts big enough to hold your dreams, even though they come at personal cost, because we're invited into God's redemptive work through them. Lord, we don't want to be observers. We want to be participants in the kingdom. But we have to make room in our hearts for those dreams, and they're hard, and they're lonely at times, and they're scary, and they cost us something. So Lord, just supply us what we need to do. Give us the courage we need to, to follow Jesus into those spaces. And we will do our best to listen to everything your Spirit says to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.